Hi, everyone. I'm Becky. And this is Claire. And welcome to another episode of Podway. Yay! So in this podcast, we'll talk about things related to musical theaters and plays. And in today's episode, we will be talking about The Hunchback of Notre Dame. All right. So The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the musical, is a Disney adaptation of the 1996 Disney movie. So essentially, it tells the story of Quasimodo, the hunchback bell ringer of Notre Dame, and his involvement with Esmeralda, who is a Romani dancer, and essentially how their lives in Paris in general are impacted by this kind of friendship they have. So what's your familiarity like with Hunchback of Notre Dame? So if we're just talking about the work, like the original work itself, it was when I was elementary school, I think, and then I read the book. You read the book? Uh, yeah, obviously the oh. children version of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not like the not like the original text, but mm-hmm. um, I read a, a child version of the book, and it was very interesting. And mm-hmm. I think I was very much in love with reading foreign literature at the time, so I really mm-hmm. liked it. I actually didn't watch the Disney movie, and I feel so crazy saying this, that it was actually my first time watching a Disney movie when I was prepping for the episode. Prior to that, I have, obviously I know that there is a musical about it, and that it's big, it's French, whatever, um, but I never really listened to any of the songs intentionally. Like mm. some songs I recognize as soon as I start here, like listening to maybe the first really? few notes. And I'm like, oh. oh, that's from here. Okay, cool. But um, other than that, I really couldn't recall any songs um, on the top of my head. So in general, I will say that I was more familiar than the of the original literature than mm-hmm. the Disney like animation movies and Disney musical. I know it was a long time ago, considering it was <laughs> elementary school, but do you remember if the ending matches the one from the Disney movie? No, it was very different. Okay. I think it, I read the even though it was children version, but then the ending was dark just okay, like the yes. original literature so I was really nervous to see how Disney is going to do about it like halfway through the movie I was watching it with my boyfriend and I was telling him like oh my god there's no way they're going to end it the original way right because that's too dark for a Disney movie so <laughs> obviously it's going to be a happy ending and yeah that's one of the major differences is actually super different Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I can understand why though. How did it end in the original one? Like, oh, the... have you never read the book before? I haven't read the book. No. Okay, so in the original text, one character that is super different, I think you already know, is Phoebus. Mm-hmm. And Phoebus in the in the literature didn't love Esmeralda at all. Like, he just wanted to sleep with her, and he has a fiance already. So he was pretty much cheating on his fiance to be with Esmeralda. And when he was threatened by Froyo, I hope that's how you pronounce his name. Frollo? Frollo. I keep saying Froyo because I thought that it was like the Spanish way. But then now that I think about it, why did I think that? It's French. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Froyo is the, is the yogurt company. Yeah. That's what I thought. I'm like, oh, that's a cute name. But I love not. it. You should keep it. I know. <laughs> Anyways. So when he was threatened by uh, Frollo, like that he was going to lose his career, like he has no hesitation turning Esmeralda in. So he watches her um, executed and he didn't seem to mind it too much. Like he has pretty much no feelings towards her. So that would be one major differences. And also in the original text, um, so kind of similar to the movie, uh, sorry, the, the musical Esmeralda dies in the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, Quasimodo, he also dies of starvation um, by just staying with her corpse 
does he kill he Frollo? Yes, he did. Okay, okay. So how is it different? It's I guess it's the same. It's like the reader's digest version of the actual book because this is the exact same as the book. Usually when I picture a children's book, I picture them a lot more geared towards children, but it looks like what you've read is kind of like the reader's digest, like a shorter version of the actual novel. Yeah, I think it is. It's just okay. much simpler to understand. And I think it skips a lot of maybe side stories or text mm-hmm. or whatever. So it was just a more condensed version of the original text. So okay, yeah, so it's still pretty dark. I don't know why I read it, but anyways, <laughs> I did. And uh, it was actually a good read because it was it was dark. Yeah, <laughs> And I like yeah. dark stories. Well, I would assume you like it considering it's the same author who wrote Limiz. Yes. But in terms of the music, something else that made me very, very curious, he said you recognize some of the songs and I really wonder where you recognize them from. I have no idea. I really have no idea. (laughs) You know those songs that you kind of have a memory of or you just recognize them when you hear them, but you don't really know them? I'll run with this. Okay, sure. (laughs) Okay, you never had those? I I probably did. I probably did. But usually I can kind of pinpoint where do I know it from? Like, oh, do I recognize that by listening to it in a car, in a radio or from a coffee shop or from like, I don't know, CDs or something I listen to, who knows, Uh, Spotify, whatever. Like usually I have an idea of where I could possibly have heard them from. Yeah, well, I don't. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Maybe I that's... heard them from like a Disney album or something. But You listen to those? I don't know. It's a thing. Like I used to listen to a lot of things when I was younger, but it's ah. just nothing that really stays with me for a long time. So I don't really know um, okay. what it was. And the question yeah. that follows that obviously must be asked, which uh-huh. ones? So Out There and um, what was the other one? Top of the World. Top of the World? Mm-hmm. That's not from the movie. It is, no? No. It is not? No. I had no idea where I heard that from. <laughs> maybe you, you listen to it in like a musical compilation. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's what it was. But anyways, yeah, that's that's one of the few. Okay, very interesting. Okay, for me, I definitely grew up watching the original Disney movie. My house had so many Disney movies, you have no idea. My parents like literally just hoarded VHS tapes. And my pastime, considering I did absolutely no studying, was watching a lot of Disney stuff or other movies and shows. So uh, probably why I'm so familiar with so many of them. I must say that I wasn't a big fan of The Hunchback of Notre Dame growing up just because it was probably Disney's darkest movie they're still somewhat geared toward children and the way that they geared it toward children is a little bit funny I don't think it meshes well when I see it as an adult but yeah I think I probably only watched it two or three times as opposed to other Disney movies which I watched tens and tens of times it was a little bit of a traumatic experience, I think, watching them, Ooh. especially something that absolutely has no relation to the plot. But I remember thinking a lot about as a child in the movie, there is this uh, old man who is imprisoned constantly. And it's kind of like supposed to be funny. He's freed from his confinement at several points throughout the movie. And then the joke is he always gets back into another confinement. And I remember feeling so sad for him and just thinking about how horrible it must be for him after watching it. (laughs) 
for absolutely no reason. He has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. I want to make this clear. Absolutely no bearing on the plot. But I remember just seeing him and it's so depressing to see. So that made me sad every single time I watched it. Wow. Now, this is time for me to introduce yet again the music behind the magic, um, which is a Disney 50-year anniversary CD that I talked about in Nightmare Before Christmas. As I mentioned before, I was essentially hooked to the CD through an IV drip and I listened to it constantly. And one of the songs that they um, included in the CD was The Bells of Notre Dame. Listening to it, I was actually terrified to my core. And I was like scared to walk around my house just because of the music itself, which is usually a sign of a great song. If it manages to induce so much emotion in you that it has a reaction such as being afraid or being very, very sad or very happy for whatever and whoever the song describes, I think that's really, really good. But I was terrified of this song completely. And especially of the moment when uh, Frollo names Quasimodo, I thought, was really really horrible and I think that lasted for more than a month so it definitely had a reaction I think that's really good um it later on influenced me to listen to the soundtrack a lot more so I'm very familiar with the Disney movie songs just I I enjoyed them quite a bit in terms of the Hunchback of Notre Dame the musical I knew a little bit about it because some YouTube channels that I watched talked about it. I think it was Schaeferless production. They had like a whole episode or a whole like video saying how much they love this musical. And that didn't inspire me to watch it yet. Like, oh, but I was aware of it. I was aware that there were two Hunchback musicals. One of them is in French and one of them was this one. And this one first started in Germany, actually, and was later translated to English, if I remember correctly. But it never made it to Broadway interestingly enough, despite being relatively successful, especially in Germany, where it was one of the longest running musicals. So I'm really curious to see how this discussion goes today. Interesting. So have you heard the the French one? I didn't hear the French one, no. Okay. I wonder, no, but I was really curious to to listen to it. I haven't had a chance to, but I should. Um, Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting because I heard good things about that too. I'm curious how they differ. Maybe it's a compare and contrast thing for another time if we want to revisit it down the line, but I'm quite saturated with French musicals at this moment. <laughs> wow, Romeo and Juliet really left an impression, right? It did. I'm sorry, because I know how much you love it and I feel bad like being honest about how much I disliked it. No, it's okay. <laughs> but when we get to one of my favorite foreign musicals, I think you'll be able to repay me in favor. <laughs> Is it German? It's not German. Oh, what language is it? Russian. Interesting. Interesting. It's very obscure too. It's nothing big like Romeo and Juliet. So, and it's fantasy. So I have on high authority that you would hate it. Well, stay tuned, guys. If stay you want to know which musical this is. So yeah. It made it to my uh, Spotify Rewind, by the way. It was in my top five. Wow. What is it? Albums for the year. Wow. Just wow. Okay. <laughs> Okay, do you want to go a little bit more in depth into the plot? All right. So the musical opens with the priests and nuns singing about the backstory of the musical during the Day of the Feast of Fools, which is essentially when Romani people are allowed to walk freely within the city of Paris. They retell the story of two orphaned brothers, Claude and Gian Frollo, who were taken in by the church. 
So Jian is a bit of a free spirit, while Claude is very much a follow the rule type of person. And you can see that there is still a lot of love between the two, despite all their differences. Jian grew wilder and wilder as time passed, and one day he brought Claude a Romani prostitute for his birthday. Claude wasn't very interested, to say the least, and when they were found by the church, Claude reveals what Jian did, and as a result, Jian is expelled from the church. So Jian fled and severed contact with Claude for several years, during which Claude, who henceforth will be called Frollo, by the way, ascended the ranks of the church very, very quickly, reaching the rank of Archdeacon. Frollo received a message from Jian, and he visits him, finding he is very, very sick. He wants to take him back to the church and take care of him there until he gets better, but Jian refuses because he's essentially on the brink of death at this point, and instead he asks Frollo to take care of his son. Um, who is also Frollo's nephew. Frollo deliberates whether to kill the baby or take him in, and he decides on taking him in. He names the baby Quasimodo and leaves him in charge of ringing the bells of Notre Dame. So back to modern day, Quasimodo has an internal conversation between the two sides of him, the side that wants to go and experience the world, and the side that thinks it's too dangerous. Frollo goes up to visit Quasimodo and essentially spews some hate speech towards Romani people before leaving for the Feast of Fool. Quasimodo, who desperately wants to experience normal everyday life for just one day, decides to take the plunge and go to the Feast of Fool in disguise. At the Feast of Fool, Kloppen, who is a Romani puppeteer, introduces the celebrations. And meanwhile, we are actually introduced to a new character, Captain Phoebus, who comes back to Paris from the front line of the war and witnesses the celebrations for himself. He arrests one of the Romanis and uh, wastes no time kissing up to Frollo. Kloppen introduces Esmeralda, a Romani dancer, during the celebration, and Phoebus and Frollo both notice her and are immediately enchanted. The mob during the Feast of Fools attempt to find the ugliest face in Paris and crown them king, and Esmeralda locates Quasimodo and brings him to the competition, not realizing what she's doing. The crowd is initially very terrified of him, but then they start to make fun of him and it's on good nature. They ground him king of the fools until one of the city folk starts throwing rotten food at Quasimodo and the crowd starts to join in, which is something they actually never done before. They tie Quasimodo down and hit him. Quasimodo spots Frollo and begs for help, but Frollo ignores him. By the way, this 100% broke my heart and made me tear up almost. It was really, really soul crushing to see this. Yeah. But yeah, Esmeralda helps him and frees him from his confinement. And the crown is very angry. She ruined their fun, essentially. Esmeralda escapes through a trick everyone thinks is a witchcraft. And the mob spots Quasimodo again, but Frollo intervenes this time. Away from the commotion, Esmeralda enters Notre Dame, where she's confronted by Frollo. She asks to see Quasimodo to make sure he's okay, but Frollo forbids it. Frollo lectures her about not using her beauty and dancing to get money and about witchcraft and why it's wrong, and Esmeralda debates with him his accusations. He invites her to stay for mass and to continue their conversation afterwards, but then Phoebus spots Esmeralda and the two fight verbally and physically. After the fight, Esmeralda hears Quasimodo and runs after him. She manages to find him and they start having a conversation. As they learn more and more about each other, they develop a kind of friendship. And Quasimodo shows Esmeralda the bills and rings them at the wrong time. And as a result, Frollo shows up. He invites Esmeralda to stay at the cathedral to learn about gospel from him. And she refuses and cites the reason for refusal that Frollo is essentially attracted to her. So she doesn't want to stay there. He is enraged by the mere suggestion and kicks her out of the cathedral, instructing the guards to arrest her if she ever returns. 
Frollo goes to Quasimodo and he accuses him of having impure thoughts towards Esmeralda, which is essentially what Frollo is experiencing. And we later find out that Frollo can't stop thinking about her and he looks for her nightly. He goes to a tavern during his search where actually Phoebus ends up going to and he finds Esmeralda and he being Phoebus, not Frollo by the way, they kiss and Esmeralda leaves. Meanwhile, Quasimodo considers his feelings towards Esmeralda and identifies it as love. Frollo considers his attraction towards Esmeralda and decides to hunt the Romani in retaliation and specifically hunt down Esmeralda and give her the option of either dying or being with him. Frollo goes to visit King Louis XI to ask for special powers to get rid of Esmeralda, citing witchcraft as the reason. And in their search, Frollo goes back to the tavern from before and asks the owner to reveal Esmeralda's location. When the owner denies knowing the location, Frollo asks Phoebus to set fire to the tavern. Phoebus refuses and Frollo calls for his arrest. Esmeralda, however, shows up to protect him and she and Phoebus disappear in a way Frollo explains as a witchcraft. And that's the end of Act 1. Act 2 opens with Quasimodo debating whether to go out of the church to look for Esmeralda and save her. However, Esmeralda shows up before he leaves at the Notre Dame with Phoebus and asks Quasimodo to hide and protect Phoebus while she's away at the Court of Miracle, where she has refuge. She gives a necklace with an encrypted map of the city to Quasimodo, and it contains the location of the Court of Miracle, which is where she is, and the rest of the Romani people stay safe as well. Quasimodo cares for Phoebus when Frollo arrives. He distracts him by requesting a story about Saint Aphrodisius. Frollo isn't, in, isn't distracted, actually, but instead questions Quasimodo about where she might be hiding, and Quasimodo lies for the first time in his life. Frollo's conversation with Quasimodo is interrupted by the guard, who says um, they found the court of Miracle, and Frollo announces that he will attack at dawn. Quasimodo and Phoebus search for the court of Miracle to warn Esmeralda, um, so they find it, and essentially they find Kloppin as well, and Kloppin almost executes them before Esmeralda interferes, just to make sure that their location isn't revealed, because he thinks they are a threat. Esmeralda does interfere, though. She lets them know that they're friends, and the two inform them of Frollo's plan to attack. Right then and there, the Romani decide to pack their things and move immediately. Phoebus wants to go with them, since he has nothing here in the city and is in love with Esmeralda. Frollo shows up, unfortunately, and we find out he tricked Quasimodo to show him the way. The soldier alerting him that they found the court was actually an act. The soldiers round the whole court up and bring them to the Bastille, where Frollo expresses his disappointment in Quasimodo, but says he understands why he did it. He locks him in the bell tower nonetheless. Um, right afterwards, Frollo goes to visit Esmeralda in prison. He tries to convince her again of his love, that his love is real, and attempts to trade her and Phoebus's safety for her staying with him. He brings Phoebus so they can exchange some last words together, and Esmeralda lets Phoebus know that she cannot make the trade if she wants to live life properly. Quasimodo's imaginary friends try to convince him to save Esmeralda, but he refuses, saying they're made out of stone and they aren't real. Esmeralda is tied to a stake to be burnt alive for the crimes of witchcraft after she refuses Frollo for the very last time. However, Quasimodo decides to go to her rescue when Frollo lights the flame, freeing her and asking for sanctuary at the church. He barricades the cathedral where he puts himself and Esmeralda. The soldiers try to break in and Quasimodo tries to sabotage them by raining fire on them. Sadly, it's a little bit too late and Esmeralda dies from her wounds. 
Frollo manages to go up there and he tries to console Quasimodo. However, Quasimodo asserts that Frollo is the wicked one, not Esmeralda. And for that, he should be punished, killing him immediately. Now, um, everyone Quasimodo ever loved is dead. Quasimodo carries Esmeralda's body away. And we end with Kloppin finishing the story with a moral, what makes a monster and what makes a man. Okay, so that Yay. is the plot of The Hunchback of Nardan, the musical. So, anything to say on the plot, or should we go straight to the songs? Just one thing. I just yes. thought whenever I watched a scene when um, Frollo was telling Esmeralda how much he loves her, he was like, love me now! I was found it so <laughs> funny. I'm like, wow, dude, you clearly doesn't have a clue of how this works, do you? Like, this is definitely not the way to go. But yeah, but anyways, <laughs> we can go into the song proper. Okay, sounds good. So I'm going to combine the two first one, which are Olem and the Bells of Notre Dame. I really like the Bells of Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can understand why. This is one of the songs that you felt scared about, right? This is the one that I felt scared about. Yeah, this. yeah, okay. Yeah, I can understand why, because it does have that creepy choir singing and feels kind of it, it just really brings you chills almost um so I can see why it was creepy for for a kid for sure but I really I was 15 it. but okay oh <laughs> for a teenager but yes. <laughs> but okay uh, I really enjoyed it I think the most profound moment for me in this one is when the actor who plays Quasimodo walks on the stage and sings who is the monster and who is the man mm-hmm. before transforming into Quasimodo in front of us. Because mm-hmm. um, right before then, I didn't know that he was going to be Quasimodo. He looks completely normal, like, I guess, visually. Yeah. But then you see people like putting makeup on and he literally put on this bag on his back and then wears a clothes outside of it. And then he transforms into Quasimodo. And I thought it was really really impressive and I was completely stunned too because there was nothing at all distinguishing from the the other actors on the stage on up until that point pretty much he was no different from them until his appearance changed so I Mm -hmm. feel like that moment itself embodies the message of the entire show which they managed to do in less than 30 seconds I thought that was very impressive and Mm -hmm. I really like that too um the symbolism and everything so for me, even though the scene narratively, there's a lot going on. You get to see the brothers, how Quasimodo was, was brought to Frollo and things like that. But then that moment itself, how Quasimodo walks up and transformed into who he is, was just really speechless at the point. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that's really impressive. Really amazing, too. For me, this is my favorite number. I think it's really, really, yeah. I mean, I think it it means a lot that number can move you in such a way, as I mentioned before, like having such an intense reaction as fear, especially something that lasts with you for such a long time is an indication of something that is done right. Like this is what music is for, in my opinion. Music is there to provide an emotional reaction and to move you in one way or another, be it out of like the sheer beauty of it or happiness or even sadness or fear. So I think this is definitely an indication 
expectation of a job well done. In terms of the song itself, I just think it's an impeccable opening number because first of all, it condenses all the backstory we need to have in order to understand the dynamics at play and also how the situation came about. And second of all, starting the musical with a choir singing in Latin gives me the impression of how central the church is to the musical and how much of a nod it is to that. So I think that's a really, really wise move. And I really like that they did that compared to the Disney musical where Frollo was a judge. If I'm not mistaken, the reason why they made him a judge is because they were scared of the church's reaction. They didn't want them to boycott the movie. So they decided to go on the safe way to make him a judging sub in Archdeacon. And they corrected it here, which makes a lot of sense. I also really like that they added complexity to Frollo. In terms of the complexity... I love the complexity. I love that they layer a lot of things on top of each other. They layer a lot of elements that we'll find out later on. Most notably, um, Frollo, when he makes the decision of throwing Quasimodo away and essentially killing him or bringing him with him and caring for him. That's something that we'll see come again and again, and not only in Frollo, but other characters too. And I love that it shows up constantly. The uh, Latin choir and choirs in general are also huge, huge elements that will come up again and again. And I really like that. It makes the backdrop of the church and the reason why this was called the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Notre Dame being so central to the story, all the more compelling. So I think they have so many elements that they make right here. And I'm very used to the Disney version, so it took me a little bit of time to adjust to this version as well, not being sung mainly by Kloppin, who is the character who sings the majority of it. I think it still works really well in different ways. It just, it takes away from Kloppin's character, true, but it adds to Frollo's character and it adds to the atmosphere in my opinion. So I think overall it's actually a good change to the main. Next one is Sanctuary. I don't really, are we combining this with Out There? We can. Okay. I have more to say about Out There than I do with Sanctuary. Okay. Okay. Um, out There I think is my top three because, well, first of all, I recognize the song from who knows where, but I, <laughs> but I really, really enjoy the song. It reminds me of One More Day from Le Mis. I have no idea if musically, intentionally, there were some similarities, but that's the vibe that I got. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed the singing. I feel like the part that really got me was when his voice transforms from like this deep, monstrous kind of rusty voice when he was talking to Frollo. And then he becomes like crystal clear when he's by himself and singing about his dream of being out there for this one day. And I guess narratively, most of us um, can probably relate to the song since we have another lockdown. And I feel like <laughs> this is a lot of people's um, crying inside, be like, just get me out there one day. But but yeah, but yeah, guys, when you have the luxury of going out, this is actually quite rare for Quasimodo. So <laughs> wow. but I, I like that. I can relate to it. I can understand him. And the other thing that I also like about this is how foreshadowing this is because in mm-hmm. the song, there's a line that says that all I ask is one to hold forever. And I feel like it's actually a very sad line if you know the real ending of the original literature because the irony is that in a book that he dies holding Esmeralda's corpse until he dies of starvation, right? Mm-hmm. And their bones are tangled together forever. And I feel like this is, even though it sounds very hopeful, in a way but then it's a very sad 
and tragic foreshadowing to how he actually ends up in the book. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And the other thing that I found interesting is no matter how much I don't like Frollo, I feel like in the beginning when he says about the humanity is quite accurate, even Mm -hmm. though it's very cruel. And the song in the movie is seriously deeper than most Disney productions. If you compare this to like other Disney musicals like Frozen or something, this is definitely speaking some truth to it, uh, to it. And it's not really a children's movie, or I don't think it's targeted towards children, but then it's it's from the same author. It's a masterpiece. And I feel like whenever he tells that, yeah, people are going to um, hate you because of how you look, and your look is how people are going to judge you, that's really sad. And I feel bad for Quasimodo the first time watching it because that's the truth that he's been taught this whole time his whole life right like he was made to believe that the world out there was cruel and not friendly and will hate him for being who he is and I guess a part of me as audience was like no there are good people out there but then at the same time considering what happened to him during the during the song that comes after this when he was pretty much beaten up by all the other people this is true and I can understand where Philos is coming from even though he's the bad guy here so mm-hmm. that's the contradictory irony um, feelings that I have towards him because even though it is true that he was trying to protect him no matter what his true intention was but really the world out there was unfriendly to Quasimodo aside from probably Esmeralda so I, I just feel really, really bad for him, for Quasimodo in, in this song. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But musically, it's a beautiful song. I love it. I guess I'll start with Sanctuary. So I think the song shows a whole different side of Frollo once again. So in the Disney movie, it was very obvious that Frollo was evil from the get-go and had no redeeming quality. And in this back and forth between Frollo and Quasimodo, I can see Frollo caring for Quasimodo to an extent, obviously in no sh- way, shape or form in a healthy extent, but I still think he has some kind of feelings towards Quasimodo. And I feel like having the softer side of the other way he operates himself after the way we see him try to educate Quasimodo in his own misguided way, that is similar to what we discussed with Death Note, I think. Like you need to show a different portion of the person to make the monstrous side hit a lot more so if they show this portion of Frollo the fact that he's incredibly racist and hateful and genocidal towards Romani hits a lot more harder I think compared to the Disney version where it was very very clear he was essentially the devil incarnate I think maybe it's because that we also learned that Quasimodo is his nephew Mm. and I feel like that adds up a different emotion that he has towards Quasimodo. So yeah, it changed how I think about him too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think any kind of feelings he has towards Quasimodo are definitely just an extension of what he has to his brother because you can see Mm -hmm. he really, really cares for his brother. And he still had to make the internal decision whether to get rid of Quasimodo or not because of his deformities. So the reason why he's taking care of him at all is only and only because of his brother, that's for sure. Okay, and for out there, I think for me, it was absolutely heartbreaking to see. I literally just wanted to reach into the screen and hug Quasimodo so bad. It was so, so sad, but very hopeful and beautiful in a way, which will absolutely be shattered 
as we go on into the musical. In terms of the song itself, I'm a little bit unsure on deciding to make his speech heavy when he communicates. Even though it logistically makes sense, I really like that they decide to make his inside voice the same as the movie, very pure and innocent. So I'm not sure about the decision itself, but when they did make the decision, I like that they followed the same kind of vocals as the movie, if that makes sense. And that juxtaposition really shows humanity and intrigue towards Quasimodo as a person. And also carries the message of the movie that the inside is different from the outside in a number of different ways. And this is just another way to show it, I think. Next, I'm going to combine Topsy Turvy Part 1 and Rest in Creation. Unless you have very oh, pressing things to say. Yeah, that's good with me. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very catchy. It's very playful music. But it doesn't really call my ears by any chance. Like, I, mm. I like it. I enjoy it. But it's... It's okay. I can see mm-hmm. why people will really, really like Topsy Turvy because it's the very classic, like Disney happy song. But I feel like because of how it turned out, like it definitely affects how I think about the song. And and to an extent, like <laughs> I feel like I couldn't like it as much knowing what happened to Quasimodo later. So mm-hmm. that's just me. That's fair. I actually think Topsy Turvy is different than most Disney songs because Disney songs don't usually just show the happiness of something. They usually stick to conflict or um, differing ideas within a character or within a character in the world they live in. So I thought it was very interesting that they did include it in the movie and also included it here. But both, I think, are pretty okay. Topsy Turvy sp- specifically is stupidly catchy, while the rest of the creation has a very royal sound to it with the instrumental and the melody itself is rather simple, which shows, like, I think Phoebus in a very uncomplicated light at this point. And I think rest of the creation is going to be kind of like his theme song moving forward I think it's called a leitmotif and so we're going to hear it again and again in relation to Phoebus as his character gets more and more complex so I think it's a very interesting way to do it as a character introduction when you have his character introduced in this song and then have different elements reflected again and again as he grows it's not something that I see very very often but I quite like they did do that and they also use restaurant creation in other parts not in relation to Phoebus specifically when the guards are involved and I think it's because of the royal element and the sounds that it has to it so it's it's very multi-purposeful you want to combine rhythm of the tambourine topsy-turvy part two sanctuary two and the bells of Notre Dame reprise <laughs> Uh, sure. I mean, I don't have a lot of things to say for some of them, so I'm just going to focus on the few songs that I do have something to say about. Yeah, honestly, the only one I have anything to say about out of these is the rhythm of the tambourine, which is yep. why I'm combining all of them. Okay, cool. So go ahead. Yeah, okay. I really like the song. I feel like it captures Esmeralda's charm very well. Um, they also did a pretty good job casting, I think. She looks a bit more mature than... Do you recognize her? No. We've seen her before. Really? From where? Yes. You want to guess? No. <laughs> She's Elsa. Oh. Okay. <laughs> she looks very different then. I think it's no, a lack actually, of white hair. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Now that I even mention it. She has a beautiful voice though. She does, yes. Yeah. So that explains it. Good job <laughs> casting people. But what I was trying to say was she definitely looks a bit more mature than the Esmeralda that I had in mind. Because in the book, she was 16 or something. So from the get-go, my image of her was someone who is 
rather young, wild, naive, brave, all that stuff. Maybe not naive, sorry, wrong word. But she looks more like she's in her mid-20s to late 20s here, which is okay. And I, I get it. Like, you can't really cast a young person, like too young of a person to sing a role this important. So I'm okay with that. And I feel like she actually adds a lot of charm to the character. She's very, very charming. Um, so I can understand why people all sort of fall in love with her. So I think they definitely do a good job casting. And I also like the part how where um, all the men were singing about Esmeralda pretty much. Because I think mm-hmm. it really shows how innocent Quasimodo is in the scene. Because while Frollo and Phoebus was like, oh, she dances like... And then Quasimodo goes straight for like an angel. And Mm -hmm. since that's the only thing that comes to the mind for him. And I thought that was just so pure. That's so cute. It captures his personality so well as well. Um, And it's a very sharp comparison compared to the other two guys. So I also thought it was quite cute. And musically, Mm -hmm. it's very catchy. I like how it transitioned into the song very smoothly. It doesn't feel like it was two different songs. And so I think they actually do a pretty good job like combining all these songs together in the scene. So I like that. I don't know that I like Rhythm of the Tambourine as Esmeralda's introduction song. I personally much prefer God Help the Outcast as her song introduction because it seems like it showcases her personality and who she is a lot more than this one. This one is a song that is more about her or the focus is about others reactions to her rather than who she is as a person this is also one of the only times you see her dance in the entire musical because this is something that they don't want to highlight in this case they want to highlight more of her personality and who she is no she dances in a tempering song too no i know i said like this is one of the only times so like yeah yeah this is like a lot less so than compared to the um the movie I never had an image of her as a 16-year-old. Now that I think about it, it's very disturbing if that's the case in the book. But because the image I've had of her was of the movie, she always seemed very mature to me. So thank you for that little piece of information that will now haunt me forevermore. (laughs) So yeah, personally, it's not my favorite. I don't like it as an introduction song, but musically, I don't mind it. It's not a bad song. I just wish it was somewhere else. Okay, okay. I actually thought it was a good introduction I get why you think it was a little bit over sexualized but at the same time I feel like that's the like that's not my issue with the song oh my issue with the song is that the focus is about her not rather than from her perspective so God Help the Outcast I think is from her perspective and showcases her personality and in this song in Rhythm of the Tambourine I think this is more of a focus of how people react to her I get that, but at the same time, I feel like it brings more depth when we learn how she thinks and who she is later after we already have like sort of like a person who um, like how everybody else thinks of her. But that's just me, probably. Mm. Yeah, I think that that is fair, but I don't think it's necessary. Like a lot of the stuff that happens in terms of how people react to her happen in a dialogue or happens based on the scene that will proceed how she helps Quasimodo and what people do in relation to that so yes they have this song to showcase I guess her introduction but also how people think about her but considering this is something they'll already cover later on I don't think it's strictly necessary Mm -hmm. but fair enough I think to each their own and I think it's it's good that we both have different opinions on this because I think it will probably capture the public opinion in a more holistic way 
So now we get to the much-talked-about God Help the Outcast. And personally, I love this song. I think this will be in my top three. It's very short, but it's also a very good introduction, in my opinion, to Esmeralda's character and what sets her apart from other people. It shows her kindness and selflessness, especially when it's in direct comparison with the people who actually go to the church and are supposed to be just according to Frollo and the general public. Musically, it's really beautiful to listen to, and it also lets the singer's voice shine through since I think it's pretty light on instrumentation and also complexity. It's a simple prayer and play from someone who is desperate, and all in all, it's very beautiful. I don't think it's a song of its own, but I'm going to mention it here. It's not part of God Help the Outcast, but Phoebus and Esmeralda have like a small song, and it's pretty sweet to listen to and I think musically it's really nice to mention it a little bit later on um, in act two I wonder why it's not considered its own song I really enjoyed the song too I think it's very moving very emotional pretty much everything you said and the fact that she sings about I ask for nothing and Mm -hmm. uh, I can get by but please help other people who are less fortunate than I I feel Mm -hmm. like it's just so beautiful you can really see why she was attractive not on the physical level but also on the more spiritual level like she truly is selfless and very 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 kind and that Mm -hmm. come trust also comes from the I guess like there are also other people singing um in the back and be like oh I pray for fame I pray for love and that kind of thing and here you have Esmeralda who pretty much has no money and she's being chased after but she is there saying that she asked for nothing and she wants to help the other people um so that selflessness and humbleness is really touching is a rare thing to see in people in general so in that regard yeah i i really really like her um i didn't really have too much feelings toward her before this moment like in the previous song I was like okay when she helps Quasimodo and starting from then and up until this song was like okay you are truly an amazing person and I also like how Quasimodo falls in love with her not because of her luck but because of the fact that she helped him and that kindness just speaks a lot more than the physical beauty that she possessed so I, I really, really like it. I think in general, this is just a beautiful, beautiful song. Like almost all the songs that she has, um, Sunday that will come in act two is also one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that it give Esmeralda a lot of songs like this to speak more on who she is, what she thinks, and even just a person from her position and how much that, how kind a person can be even in her position like this. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. my thoughts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hope for humanity. Yes, 100%. The next song is also an Esmeralda song, though it's a duet. Top of the World. What do you think? I love this song. I really, Aww. really like it. And what I love most about this part is that that they're playing, really. Yep. So, for example, when Quasimodo pretends to fall over, it was just so funny. You can see the fact that they're playing together um you see Quasimodo like socially interacting with somebody else which is also really nice and for once in that one moment he is not some hideous monster anymore and Esmeralda isn't just some outcast who um everyone is chasing after and they're just two friends having fun and mm-hmm. I'm always like a sucker for like quiet wholesome moments like this and the fact that Quasimodo said something like oh it's nice is the 
just the two of us sitting just got me so much. So in general, it's a very sweet song. And I really think that it highlights the friendship that was shared between Quasimodo and Esmeralda really, really perfectly. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoy it. I didn't know that it was not from the movie. I should have known probably. <laughs> but regardless, um, if it wasn't in the movie and then they added in the musical, great work. I really enjoyed it. Personally, I think I'm, I like this song fine. I'm a little bit neutral about it. I really like Esmeralda's part, but I wasn't such a big fan of Quasimodo's Greek choir in the background. I think the reason why they incorporate there is not only to showcase Quasimodo's internal thoughts, but also to symbolize that Esmeralda is now part of his friend group since all of his friends talk and sing to him. And this is something we see over and over again throughout the musical, and she joins in when they sing. So this is probably the reasoning behind it. But I I don't know. I, I will talk about it a little bit more in depth later, but I'm not a big fan of Quasimodo's Greek choir. Regardless of that part, I really enjoy the first part, which is Esmeralda's. So overall, I'd say neutral to neutral positive on this. Okay. Uh, do you have anything to say about the tavern song? Not much. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, Heaven's Light. Yeah, I really like this song too. <laughs> My favorite part of this one is the change from kiss to touched because mm. really no one has so much as given Quasimodo a gentle part of gratitude. But this, like Esmeralda and their interaction is just so tender, so so gentle, so mm. wholesome. I love it. And I also heard an analysis which says that the contrast between this song and Hellfire, which comes oh, yes. right after this song. I'll mention it too. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it talks about um, how Frollo's whole personality and particularly his pride and extremely possessive attitude towards Esmeralda could be seen as sort of like an enemy to God because it's very contrasting, right? Like one's mm. heaven, one's hell, one's light, one is fire. Um, and... I love Quasimodo's personality in this one and his desire for Esmeralda's freedom and happiness. Like he wishes her nothing but a best pretty much. Like he doesn't want to own her as contrast to Frollo, but like he just wants her to be happy. And it just seems like it's almost like an angel to me, like Mm -hmm. a saint. So I am a big fan of the song. I really like it. And I like it from the movie already. And I really like both version of the song, actually. But I think I slightly prefer the musical version just because, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like maybe is the whole acting and the whole emotional that he puts into the song that was really moving for me. And it's just, it all comes down to preferences, really. I know people probably have like tons of different opinions about this, but I love both version. Um, I just slightly prefer the musical version because I do feel like you can get more of Quasimodo's emotions through his body language and just the actor's performance. So I want to give the credits to whoever <laughs> sings the song. I think his name was Michael Arden. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did a fantastic job here. Yeah, I agree. It's such a sweet song. I prefer the musical to be more about Quasimodo than it is right now. He seems to me like a player in it rather than the main character. And I really wish for such moments such as Heaven's Light to be a little bit more frequent, to shine a little bit more. The 
Greek course, as I mentioned, that is attached to him, make it seem a little bit less about himself like than before to me. So I have a slight preference towards the movie version because of this for the song specifically. But regardless, he sounds like an absolute angel, like you mentioned yourself. In every single version that I hear the song from, every single version is also just as tender, as you mentioned, just as beautiful and heartbreaking to listen to. And just him rediscovering his love for somebody the first time, having such beautiful and innocent emotions, I think that really shows a very relatable character to Quasimodo um, as a person. So I really like that they included that kind of tender moment for him. All right, let's move on to Hellfire. We talked about Hellfire before in a number of different episodes because I mentioned this is probably, I, I mentioned how curious I am to see your reaction to it um, when you mentioned that Scars Be Prepared is your favorite Disney villain song. So I wonder what is your reaction to it? Yeah, this is the heart one. <laughs> okay. Don't make me pick. I'm not going to pick, but I will say this and that is Hellfire it is a really good song. Yay. I think it's really one of probably the darkest Disney songs. I mm-hmm. personally really love it. I feel like you can see how Frollo really probably is one of the best developed villain in the entire Disney franchise because mm-hmm. he's not just evil, but I like the fact that he is also blind to how evil he is. Mm-hmm. Like he believes that he's a good man and he's following God's will. And I think the best example like how they embodies that part of it is also in the musical element of the song so how the song starts with a very peaceful tone almost like a prayer and then it quickly turns into this dream of fire lust and then even a death threat by the end of it it's mm-hmm. very mature and dark and explicit if it will for a disney movie or a disney production of any kind back in the days especially yeah So it is really, truly special. And I feel like this entire movie back in the days, I agree with you, is not targeted towards children, is not supposed to be meant for children, is very, very mature. And I was actually pretty impressed with how they included this, because consider how explicit the lyrics are. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about showing it to my kids if I were a parent back in the days. Yeah, I would just hope for the best and then they don't understand a thing. But <laughs> this is how complex the song is. And I, I honestly really, really enjoy the complexity of his character and his mm-hmm. musically is also a beautiful song. And I really enjoy it. It's so dark, you yeah. know, it's a really a good feeling song. Ah, that's that's all I ever want to hear. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> yeah, when you say that comment about letting your kids watch it, it's really funny because the marketing for this movie apparently was a shit show. So since you watch the movie, you know that they had the gargles and stuff like that for comedic effect. And essentially, the trailer harped a lot more on the comedy part of it and it wasn't entirely honest about how scary and complex the movie really is. So... Disney wasn't entirely honest about how they went about when they showed it to kids in movie theaters. <laughs> As a kid who did watch it, who was exposed to this, I can tell you everything went right over my head. So I don't think parents should be entirely concerned about that. Maybe about nightmares from seeing Frodo's demented face before he goes to his doom. But <laughs> that happened before in other Disney stuff. So yeah, Disney really dropped the ball here in multiple ways, not only by the tone of the movie going from 
uh, very, very funny or quote unquote funny. I don't think it was. They were very successful with their comedic uh, timing and everything to very, very serious. And I don't know, serious and talks about like very heavy themes. They kind of yo-yoed in between that in a really strange way. Like it was almost like watching two different movies. And that's why the reason why the movie is not more acclaimed or more remembered uh, right now compared to back then because of this kind of like juxtaposition between them not going well at all um, but I think people who still watch it can appreciate for the dark theme that it presents if only this movie still stayed animated but was taken out with the only the complex stuff rather than the funny moments that they inserted in and targeted towards adults or maybe teens instead it would have been regarded a lot more highly today I think rather than being forgotten because I think I think when people think about Disney movies from the 1990s, which is um, the Disney Renaissance, they don't necessarily think about this. They think about Lion King, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. Um, And it's a shame because I think this would absolutely deserve an honorable mention at the very least if there weren't the comedic fits. But uh, in terms of a song, Hellfire, uh, this is where I noticed the funny comparison between hellfire and heaven's light so but you already elaborated on it quite a bit but it's interesting both of us noticed it the choir behind him makes the entire number so grand and adds to the grandeur the stage illuminates his face with a red light um and also he has like a t-pose in the end which kind of like shows the whole connection to the church as well so i think that's really really funny last week talked about production that didn't have a lot of choreography to it and didn't have a lot of complicated set pieces and I think this one doesn't necessarily it definitely has more than Death Note don't get me wrong but it doesn't have a lot of like complicated set pieces and a lot of choreography to it either which is funny considering it's a Disney production and usually they go all in on these things and I think this is one way to make it work with the little you have so I thought that's something that is important to mention and of course the main thing about Hellfire is how realistic it is like it's absolutely realistic and people will react the same way as Frollo we've seen a lot of tyrants and a lot of horrible people have the exact same mindset and hypocrisy that he has without recognizing the hypocrisy within them they project in different ways like he did to um, Quasimodo later on he's like oh I understand why you're acting like that she enchanted you when he's actually talking about himself and you get to see all that internal conflict splayed in front of you very very beautifully very very succinctly with mastery beyond belief so that's why I think personally it's the best Disney villain song it's not the funnest don't get me wrong I think something like poor unfortunate souls is going to be a lot more fun as a Disney villain song but it's the most the most convincing and realistic Disney song Mm -hmm. for villains there is okay next one is Esmeralda act one finale what do you think it's super long it's super long it's very long and strangely enough i'm okay with that which Mm. usually i'm not okay with because just how long it drags on to be but then i feel like it does have a good theme to connect all the parts in this one it's good that they name it esmeralda too because she essentially is in the center of all this mess So that's good, I guess. <laughs> and I guess that's part of the reason why I was more okay with, uh, with the arrangement here. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like it was one of the scary songs for me in the mm. musical because how optimistic it sounds like. 
you know how when we're shown villains and we're shown their viewpoints from the perspective of other characters but then in this song we're shown like Frollo's and his soldiers singing cheerfully about murdering somebody who we know as audience is innocent and that cheerful tone makes it really clear to the audience just how evil he really is and I it gives me a little bit of a chills I was thinking like oh my god how can they sound so happy and and cheerful when they're singing about trying to hunt down somebody so that they can kill her even though maybe it's not really Frollo's intention of killing her necessarily but then still right for the soldiers or at least the way that he puts it in front of the soldiers that they are trying to hunt her because she's a witch mm-hmm. um and I also like narratively how Esmeralda has a whole dramatic storyline that she is pretty much absent from Like, this shows the power and the impact that her character has on all others, pretty much. And I thought it was a very good storytelling method of just showing how much impact she has on the entire plot line. So, yeah, in terms of just being an at-one closer, it does the work for me. I don't mind it being the at-one closer, even though it's very long, but it's okay. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily to your liking, but you think it served the plot fine yes okay gotcha uh personally i also think it's a really good act one closer because i think in this song even though it is long you get to see exactly where everyone lies in the story leading up to the moment of the conflict and it sets them up for act two so i think it does its job very well in that front um i also really like that they show musically that frollo has the royal guard support by layering his verses with the instrumental from when phoebus was introduced um rest and recreation and they cease phoebus's use of the same instrumental when he makes the choice to not torch the tavern And if I'm not mistaken, they actually replace it with a song he had with Esmeralda, the one that wasn't actually featured in the track list for some reason. But then he goes back to the song later when he um, kind of thinks about whether he's making the right choice and if his past career influences him at the moment. So I thought it was really, really nice. And I also really like how in the moment Phoebus had to make his choice, they gave him the same melody they gave Frollo in the Bells of Notre Dame when he was um, making his of whether to kill Quasimodo or not. And they made him also follow the same movements and choreography, which was really, really neat. It's good attention to details. The ending all in all, is very effective it's very well done for every single character you can see where Frollo is in relation to everybody else all the power that he has and that's why it's a little bit more optimistic in tone for him because where he is at right now he has all the power in his fingertips and he can do whatever he wants in Quasimodo you hear very little of him during this number he has a little bit of moments where he goes in and out but I think that talks about how much of a reduced role he has in this musical. I think in comparison to the movie, his presence and his importance is kind of kneecapped to a lot more secondary than what he was there. And you can really see it in the song Esmeralda. I think if it was the movie version and this song feature there, he would have a much, much bigger role compared to what he has now. And as I mentioned before, Esmeralda, though everything is about her, Um, She is hardly featured in it. So I think that's actually a good callback to how she was introduced, where a lot of things are about her, but she has very little control over them. Mm -hmm. So the act one is altogether ended very, very well. And that will change, in my opinion, in act two. But we'll get to that. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I'm guessing we have nothing to say about the intract. 
Nope. Okay, flight into Egypt. I guess I'll just put it out here. I have, in general, a lot less thing to say about Act 2 than I yeah. do with Act 1. Mm-hmm. Flight into Egypt is one of the songs that I don't know how to think or what to think. <laughs> because they took a guy like you from the movie and they have the song instead. And I like a guy like you. So you do? I do. Because it's one of... I guess maybe it's because it was meant for children. So they want to have like... a funnier lighter tone song so I didn't mind it but I feel like if they are trying to replace that with a much darker more mature type of song flying to Egypt was if anything like a little bit boring to me musically Mm -hmm. so I didn't really enjoy it musically all that much I find it funny like it's humorous when there was like a person's face on the wall yeah and (laughs) and it was it was funny I can see how they're still trying to introduce some humor into the show, even though overall the tone is much darker, more mature. But uh, I feel like this song is just kind of like missing the spot for me. It's not Mm -hmm. horrible. It's not a bad song necessarily. I just feel like I wish they replaced it with something better. Mm -hmm. Even though in general, I feel like the quality of songs in this musical is quite up there for me, and I enjoy most of them, but it, this is just the less memorable ones for me. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. The song is fine, but I'm not a big fan of making this essentially Act 2 opening, considering Act 1 opening was so amazing. This is such a disappointment. Like, it has no no connection to Act to an act one it's just there for not much reason at all it should have been playing while Cosimo decided whether to help Phoebus because Esmeralda asked or not or scrapped all together into the end of act one as part of the Esmeralda song but it shouldn't have a song in and of itself and I think it really suffers from this because there was so much build up by the end of act one and this is how they decide to confront it head on quote-unquote, on Act 2. And it's really, really disappointing to see when I know they're capable of doing so much more. So I <laughs> I don't like it at all, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to mention it here just because I have nothing else to say about it in relation to Flying to Egypt. But the next song after this is Esmeralda Reprise. And especially considering this song exists and it does show Quasimodo's internal monologue about Phoebus. And about what to do in the situation where he's asked Esmeralda to protect him and make sure he's nursed back to health. It's really illustrating how unnecessary flight into Egypt was when you have this in such a succinct way. So another reason why I'm disappointed in uh, flight into Egypt. Okay, um, I combined in my notes, but the Court of Miracles and in the Place of Miracles. Okay. Um, for the Court of Miracles, I think it's a very interesting take on the song. For those who don't know, it sounds very different <laughs> from the movie version. In general, I'm okay with the change. I know a lot of people probably prefer the movie version, and I can understand why because they do need to have sort of like a funny boost with a cheery and quick music. But I can understand why they do that here, probably for the same reason as why they changed a guy like you, because they want to be more serious and all that. So I'm okay with that. But the one line I do miss is, we find you totally innocent, which is the worst crime of all. 
And、mm. I always thought that was a really great line because it's a powerful commentary on the bystanders of genocide, pretty much. And so the innocence in the eye of an unjust system is not really innocent at all. And I like how they explicitly say that. I understood that line differently, but I,、really? I like your take. <laughs> really? How did you understand it?、Um, I thought that they said this because it's the worst of all from their perspective because they still have to execute them, so they are a lot more guilty about how、oh. they feel about this. Okay, okay. But I like your take a lot more. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Did you also feel the same way about this one? Um, my main feeling about this is actually a little bit of a disappointment, just because I do like Kloppen's character in the movie, and I feel like in here they really dumbed down his involvement in the story. So in the movie, he's the narrator of it all, pretty much, and in here, the narrator is closer to the Greek choir or the Latin choir, whichever one, and there isn't really a character you attach yourself to that narrates the entire story for you. And I think it makes sense for Kloppen to be the narrator because he's kind of like a trickster. He's a puppeteer. That's what he does for a living. He entertains people through stories. So there is a reason why he should be there. And in here, they don't do it. So this number just like made me remember how much I like Kloppen as a character and how sad it is that he's not featured heavily here.、Mm-hmm. Okay, I understand that. Um, in terms of in a place of miracle, I think it's a pretty nice song actually.、Uh, though my favorite part, it sounds like a diss, but it's not.、Uh, my favorite part is the ending where they each vocalize. I think it's very uplifting and gets the point across as to why they call it the court of miracle. The miracles are their safety rather than the place itself. And I also enjoyed the complete one eighty the court of miracle takes from the previous song, which is similar, I guess, to the way that heaven's light and hell fire was、uh, made. They have like a hundred and eighty degree like turn in the way things are portrayed, and in here they do it through the meaning. So in the Court of Miracles, it's a very menacing song, and I think the reason why it is menacing is because that's how Phoebus and Quasimodo view it from their perspective. But in a place of miracle, it's very gentle and beautiful because they went from being an outsider to an insider. So I like that they did that. What do you think? I actually feel really, really bad when I listen to Quasimodo's lyrics in this one because、mm. everyone is feeling hopeful for the future, but then he has never felt more alone. And this one sort of breaks my heart because the moment Phoebus started singing about his feelings and the two of them started to kind of understanding how they feel about each other, like you just see Quasimodo like walks towards the back. Mm-hmm. Without saying anything, and I, I just feel so bad for him. Oh, poor Quasimodo. No. So in terms of that, it's a sad song for me. But if you look at it from other characters' perspective, I can understand. Yeah, that's another avenue that I do think that the movie is superior compared to the musical. In the movie, they show a little bit more of a friendship that Quasimodo and Phoebus develop, and they try doing it here before the song a little bit to show like Phoebus is kind of like a little bit of a himbo; he's a little bit dumb, and Quasimodo is a lot more intelligent than him in terms of how to figure out where the Court of Miracle actually is. But they don't pursue this later on in the movie. I think in this. 
particular moment, yes, Quasimodo is heartbroken to see Esmeralda and Phoebus are together. But then later on, he develops a friendship with Phoebus as well, and he's happy for them by the end. So I'm sad to say that this is not the case here, because then you're just left with a really sad Quasimodo until his death, which is by starvation because he's next to Esmeralda, right? So I wish they had a little bit of a friendship, and I think they could have supported each other after it, because they're the only surviving characters from the main cast. Right. Yeah, it's so, dark. I never yeah. actually like Phoebus. Okay. Even in the movie. <laughs> and I feel like my bias or my previous experience reading the book definitely plays into it. Because even when I was watching the movie, because I didn't know how Disney was going to change the ending. So I'm yeah. always like, oh my God, he's the bad guy. Like he's the one who lies to Esmeralda. But then they actually made him the good guy here. So it was a surprise. It was not a very surprising surprise. Like, it makes sense if they (laughs) Mm -hmm. want to have a happy ending. But I just never really could like him from the get-go. So I'm totally team Quasimodo in this one. Uh, Got it. Okay, I actually really like Phoebus as a character, so I think that's where we differ. (laughs) Um, But fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so I'm guessing we have nothing to say about The Bells of Notre Dame Reprise 2? Nope. How about Someday? Yeah, so this is my favorite song. I said that I was going to leave it until the end, but I just want to review that because it really is a beautiful song. And I feel like it's still relevant, the context of the song is still very relevant today. What a stunning and emotional performance from both actors, even though it was fairly short in my opinion. And when I watched the stage recording of the song, like the part that really got me was when they sing that it comes someday together for the first time. Mm-hmm. And when he, like when Phoebus put his hands on Esmeralda's face and he, she hold it and she cries. It's just so crazy to see her break down while trying to stay strong, you know, because we as audience always see her being super brave and she's willing to stand up. She's willing to help Quasimodo and she always, is not afraid of doing anything but then she knows she is going to die here and she has finally found somebody who will understand her and be with her until the end so being brave doesn't mean that she is not afraid of dying and I feel like that captures that moment that humanity moment pretty pretty well so this song always moves me not just on a lyrics level not just on the emotional level but also just being able to see her reaction and her performance throughout this entire song is really, really, really nice. And especially after the song, uh, Fiva's line in the finale, which is, I guess, bolus alert, why not make Sunday come right now? I feel like that fits just so much better with this song and the musical. So I love it so much. I really <laughs> enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I also enjoy the song. I find that their romance actually is very convincing at this point. The way they try to make each other feel better and find a little bit of solace before death, I thought is really heartbreaking, but still very beautiful to see, both acting and singing-wise. I don't think I have a lot more to add considering you explained a lot about it, but it's a pretty good song, I think. Mm-hmm. How about Made of Stone? I will say that I'm impressed with how they took one line one throwaway line from the film and they just make it into this emotional, brilliant song. It feels like this is Quasimodo's version of No Good Deed, pretty much. (laughs) And I like it because it is also very emotional. 
I feel like for Quasimodo, a lot of his songs before this is rather less dramatic. So mm-hmm. he has like Out There, he has Heaven's Light, which both were pretty straightforward. But in this one, he really goes through an emotional roller coaster pretty much. And I like the part where all his friends were like, oh, we just thought you were made of something stronger. And they said it not in a loud voice. They're not trying to fight him or anything because it's not like a dramatic tension conflict between between them. But they're saying it for pretty much emphasizing how powerful this line is because it, it is the truth. And this is honestly how they see it. And mm-hmm. because it's performed like that, it hits me so much harder. <laughs> yeah, compared to the movie. Compared to the movie, definitely. Mm-hmm. Musically, it's okay. But I feel like the performance itself is too powerful that it's really hard to just look at the song as a song, like as a musical song song is by itself but I always just combine with the impression and feelings and the chills I got from the performance because that's just how powerful it was yeah I agree with that I think the performance really carried it through I think it is definitely a strong song I wouldn't compare it to no good deed just because I love no good deed that much and it just didn't make <laughs> as much as an impression as no good deed but the emotion no, I mean, like feels- the content Yeah, the emotion feels reminiscent for sure. (laughs) I think this internal back and forth that he had with himself makes a lot of sense because he was taught his entire life one thing. So of course he will have some difficulty to make sense of all the information that he just got um, before deciding on what to do and how to continue on and what makes moral sense to him. So I don't blame him in this case for deciding not to do anything, but obviously I'm a lot just having understanding the decision that he decides not to do anything and the reasoning behind it that makes sense when we find out that he does try to save her and almost does uh later on I think it's a lot more compelling in this way so I think it makes sense narratively to make an impact and I appreciate for that I wish that the song was a little bit more fully fleshed out because then it would have been more akin to no good deed because I think they could have done something similar like the comparison you make makes sense but it's a little bit bare bones for that in my opinion and they could have made it better um this is something I'm going to have a critique on at the very end but a lot of their original songs could have been improved in my opinion Okay, now in the soundtrack, it's mishmash together. I'm going to call it finale, and then I'm going to tell you exactly what comprises the finale. So, Judex Craderis, it's Kyrie Elison, Top of the World Reprise, Esmeralda Frollo Reprise, and Finale Ultimo. For me, I just go straight into my final thoughts from here, just because we heard all of these before. I don't know about you, if you actually have any thoughts about the finale. I'll just say one thing okay. that in the musical, they humanize Frollo and make Quasimodo pretty much just murder him. Mm-hmm. And with Frollo, I guess now it's a lot clearer why he does what he does. He was hurt and he simply just did what he thought was right. But mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's not cruel or wicked or anything, but it's right. still actions that are of a human, right? And with Quasimodo, I've seen some people saying that they prefer a version of this where Quasimodo hesitated in killing Frollo and his death was sort of like an accidental fall. Mm -hmm. Personally, 
I like the ending when Quasimodo is the one doing the act of the killing, because to me, it is a lot more interesting. Like Quasimodo straight up just murders him. Um, yeah. I think from the from the book too. So yeah, we don't really feel like as it was a monstrous act. It felt like Frollo just got what he deserves. Um, and it was an act of a monster, the murder, and yet it was understandably human too. So I feel like all that ties back to the riddle of what makes a monster and what makes a man is a riddle that doesn't really have a black and white answer and is rather sort of in the gray zone. So I feel like the fact that they make Quasimodo do that and the fact that it touches on that psychology and morality is really the meaning of being human is really the message of the show is that nobody is truly a monster where nobody is truly a good man. It depends on how you see it. So I like that. I feel like it's different than the original, like a pretty black and white on the evil versus good nature. But I think it has some what of an interesting twist and it leaves a more like a deeper message um, to the audience. So I like that arrangement. Mm. I don't know how you think about it, but other than that, I don't really have a lot of things to say about the finale. So I guess we can just go straight into our final thought if you have nothing to add. Uh, I'm one of the people who, I don't have a strong preference Mm -hmm. for the changing of the ending. I don't think it's necessary to be honest, but I understand they probably want to make it more book accurate um because I looked at the Wikipedia version of the book just to see what's different and what's the same from what I recognize from the Disney version because obviously I realized there would be differences I prefer the version of the accidental death because I think what they are still trying to push in here at least the way I understood it is that Quasimodo is not the monster he's the man and that Frollo is the monster Frollo being a monster is not contested. Obviously, he is a monster. I'm glad that they humanized him a little bit because I think it makes people reflect on their internal biases. And for that, I think it's good. For Quasimodo, I prefer it if he didn't have the murder in it. Because I think personally, like, I guess this is my personal belief, but murder is wrong. And it wasn't up to Quasimodo to decide Frollo's fate and he's not like the judge, jury, executioner, I believe. I think Frollo should have gone through just trial and his judgment should have been whatever the judge and jury or whoever decides. And it wasn't up to Quasimodo to do that. And by murdering him on his own accord, it shows less than stellar morals. So I would have preferred if it was an accidental death from that perspective, because I think they are trying to funnel towards the Quasimodo is being the man and there is no monstrosity in him, which I think is what you like. You like the complexity, you like that it's something that we have good and bad in all of us. The, The whole thing is depending on what degree of good and bad you have in you. And I wish that Quasimodo was just entirely good because I think they make a lot of comparison to him um, being entirely good throughout the musical. They certainly make it throughout the movie, but in the movie, it was an accidental death. So I would have preferred if it was an accidental death myself for all these reasons. But I don't, I wouldn't say it's a very strong preference. Okay, so um, I'm going to make a comparison between this and the movie again. I thought it was a good call to take out the gargoyles from the movie because 
the whole thing that we already discussed with the comedic effects, it was absolutely unnecessary. But I personally wouldn't have switched them with Quasimodo's imaginary friends. Quasimodo could just talk to himself or sing to himself what he thinks without other people needing to be there. And particularly, I think it detracts from Quasimodo's focus as the titular character and who should be the focus of the story in general. The scenes that were cut from Quasimodo's perspective instead weren't mainly to Frollo or to other characters, but mainly to Frollo. And I don't know if it was an entirely good move or not, but it really helped improve Frollo's character as like a complex character, making more multidimensional, multifaceted. And if that's the actual direction they wanted to go on, they should probably have given him a little bit more focus in Act 2 to really show the downward spiral his lies and hatred took him towards. Overall, I think it's a net positive in terms of Frollo's character, but just giving all that focus to him detracted a lot from Quasimodo, having that require narrate his thoughts rather than having himself say what he thinks also detracted from his character. So I wish they stood true to the hunchback of be sorry the hunchback of Notre Dame being about the hunchback Quasimodo so that's a little bit frustrating in terms of the other main characters I really really enjoyed both Esmeralda and Phoebus's characterization I think they translated to the musical medium very beautifully so that's very well done the musical aspect is amazing to listen to, particularly the songs that were carried on from the movie to the musical. The new songs were mostly okay. I think you liked more of the new songs than I did, especially considering one of the new songs is your favorite. Uh, but for me, I was a little bit disappointed with the new songs they added. I think they did okay with Phoebus's song and sometimes with Esmeralda, but Phoebus's, I think, was the major winner from this from the added songs and it carried also a huge chunk of his character so I think a lot of um, his characterization rests on his songs. I also enjoyed that all the major players has their own life motif to recognize them by and in some cases like Phoebus it represents different sides of their personalities and they were used very very cleverly. That being said the fact that the new songs were a lot less impressive to me than the old song really detracts from my enjoyment of it as a musical but the new songs were not incompetent or bad by any means they just the old songs were so amazing that having newer songs that were less than that showed at least to me um narratively i thought it was a good adaptation though with some things that were problematic in the movie fixed in on stage and uh specifically as i mentioned many times all the comic relief stuff fixed i think act one was very 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 strong and act two was too jam-packed with action and plot to let us really consider much of the character and their motivation and what's going on and what they think. I would personally be okay with them making the musical just a little bit longer in order to give us those more memorable moments in act two, both in terms of the song, because I think both of us agree that the songs in act two are lacking compared to the songs in act one, but also in terms of the characterization and their thoughts, because you don't get much of it. You just get a whole lot of plot and nothing else, really. And I sh I'm really sure they could have injected some of the magic they had in Act 1 with all the complexity and all the beautiful songs and moments into Act 2, given more time or more resources. So I wish they could have done that. 
And we already discussed the ending a little bit. Obviously, Esmeralda doesn't die in the movie if we're going to that aspect. I know she dies in the book. And maybe that's why they decided to honor that. And also because this musical debuted in Germany and the European audience has different sense and sensibilities compared to North American ones. But I personally don't see an issue with keeping the Disney ending except for maybe in terms of book accuracy. Like, I don't think it would ruin the tone of the musical to have a happy ending, even though this musical is obviously a lot more darker than the movies. Um, but since it's not a huge problem that I have with it, it's just something that I personally would prefer because I like happy endings more. I wouldn't say it's like a huge point of mine, but it's something I wanted to mention. What do you think? Yeah, in terms of the ending, I actually prefer that she dies in the end. And I guess coming from reading the book, I really prefer the original stuff. So mm -hmm. I, I appreciate their efforts in honoring the original literature. And I feel like because she dies, that it makes the ending so much more complex. And I don't know, I'm a big fan of tragedy. And I yeah. personally believe that tragedies has a lot more lasting effects on people <laughs> so maybe that's why I feel like it makes me like it a lot more because not everything is just happy ever after and and that's it you know when it when there is a tragedy I feel I just feel like people tend to think about it longer they tend to remember it better and hopefully learn something and take away something from it oh. so I personally don't have a problem with that and in terms of the music I do feel like I like the new songs more than you do and I think it's because I, I have no idea why that is. <laughs> usually I don't like new stuff I feel like if I see something where if I was exposed to something I like to keep it the way it was but the new songs are actually fine I like it fine um maybe some decisions I don't necessarily agree with like flight into Egypt was okay but <laughs> but other than that most of the other songs are, are quite nice to me but so, are they as good as the original that's my gripe like I think that musically they are okay and I know for you it's different because you have songs that you like more than I do but as a whole are they weaker than the original I feel like because I don't really have a lot of attachment to the original songs, I don't really feel like they're that much different. Okay. Obviously, The Bells of Notre Dame, for example, is fantastic. And in my opinion, in terms of just how symbolic and how significant it is, the new songs obviously is not going to come close to that. But I still feel like most of them are fine. I like a lot of this new song so I'm okay with it okay. um and in terms of character I think you raised an important point of by humanizing and giving furlough a lot more screen time oh, sorry stage time they do feel like they are taking away some of the attention from Quasimodo which is really unfortunate I agree I actually never really quite think about it or see it that way until you point it out mm -hmm. um, and now that you pointed it out I've do feel like I agree with you that they should have stick with Quasimodo more since this is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. This is not Furlough of the Notre Dame. And it would be much more interesting to explore more stuff from his perspective. So for example, how he deals with like jealousy and stuff, like all these new emotions and feelings to him, like how does he deal with that? That would be an interesting perspective. And mm -hmm. I, I know, and I acknowledge that they touch upon that a little bit, but I think there's a lot more room to work with. 
but I also like the fact that they humanize Frollo a lot. So I don't know how or where I stand in terms of this. I think <laughs> it's he's difficult. A, yeah, it, it is difficult, but he is a very interesting villain, and I don't mind having more of his moments. But it's just probably not the stake of taking some away from Quasimodo. So if it is a longer musical, like you said. Maybe it'll be better. So mm-hmm. that's the that's the comment I have. And I also agree with you. I think second half is just in general a lot messier. Like the songs are not quite as nice as the first half. Um, they're less memorable. A lot of them are reprises that can just mash together. For example, Finale has like maybe a couple of songs technically mash up all together. And it could have been more organized for sure. Okay. But from a story perspective, I really enjoy the story. And I feel like if the story is good, you're already halfway there for me at least. <laughs> so even though obviously there are flaws or things that they can improve on, I still really enjoy the story. And I feel like because it is more mature and darker than the original movie, I would actually be more willing to pay money and buy tickets and to see this in person knowing that it is a tragedy I don't know maybe that's just me mm-hmm. yeah interesting uh, like a uh, fact that I remember seeing in one of Lindsay Ellis's video about this if I'm not mistaken the reason the original the author originally put it at Notre Dame is for restoration purposes he wanted to create a lot more buzz around Notre Dame because it was um, really run down and it wasn't pres- being preserved as it should be as like a huge beautiful monument that it is and the story that was generated was generated to create more appeal towards the cathedral and it was successful mm-hmm. so yeah good good on the author for caring about this yep okay should we move to the next bit sure so it is quiz time and mm-hmm. we are doing if you are a creature from a hunchback sorry not uh d hunchback <laughs> of notre dame which one would you be okay and this time i took it beforehand to make sure it's not garbage nice. um, <laughs> pick a place in paris you'd like to visit okay so we have the eiffel tower i don't know what this is random bridge <laughs> A random like bridge. A, yeah, it's not the random bridge. I think it's the bridge where you have all the locks and stuff on it. It's oh. like the bridge by the Seine. Right. Um, you have the Louvre and you have the Arc de Triomphe. Absolutely the Louvre. Okay. I'm going to pick the bridge, actually. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I don't know sure. what it's called. Um, because I remember going there on tour and it was interesting. Pick some chocolates to munch on. We have like multiple images of chocolates. We can describe them in some ways, I suppose. We have like a normal lint-looking chocolate with like chocolate, dark chocolate squares. We have bonbons. We have what looks like raspberry truffles and undisclosed truffles as well. I'm going to pick the dark chocolate chip looking like kind of thing. Okay. It's a very visual quiz though. I think... I'll go for the dark chocolate as well. Pick a cathedral. You have the one from Brazil, I think, based mm-hmm. on the huge Jesus you have there. And a bunch of other. Two of them, I think, are the Notre Dame, the cathedral. I'm going to choose the black and white one. I know Me this too. is probably going to sound very vague to the audience, but you just have to bear with us. Sorry. It's very beautiful. We're going to let you know that. Yeah. <laughs> 
if you care to look at the pictures instead of just our very poor descriptions or my very poor descriptions, actually, you can go to, uh, to BuzzFeed. Mm-hmm. Um, choose an activity. Surfing, photography, painting, hiking. Hiking all the way photography. through. Uh, choose a Disney character. Genie, Olaf, Mufasa, Chip. Do I even need to choose? It's obviously going to be Mufasa. Genie. All right. All right. I got Esmeralda. Ooh. Uh, you're a powerful woman who speaks her mind and protects those who cannot protect themselves. All right. How about you? I got Quasimodo. Although you often feel isolated from the rest of the world, you have a kind heart and are gentle with your words. You are very strong, both mentally and physically, and have a lot to teach people about the power of breaking free and taking control of your own life. This is, by the way, a quiz about the movie. <laughs> so I like that I don't end up killing anybody here if I were Quasimodo. <laughs> um, okay, so that's us. Should we give our final ranking? Okay, so I'll give it seven out of ten goats. I'm going to give it seven out of ten froyos. Okay, okay, I see <laughs> what you're trying to do there. All right, I'm going to let this one pass. Yay. <laughs> I really was hoping that you'll mention, like, you'll refer to him as Froyo from the moment you mentioned it, but I guess that didn't happen. <laughs> I was really looking forward to it. I so I had to create to my own ha- happiness in this case. Sure, sure. Um, okay, so that's it from us. If you want to discuss this particular musical with us, any previous musical we discussed, or maybe you want to give us suggestion, suggestion, suggestions <laughs> for what to cover next, you can talk to us via our social media on Instagram, Twitter, but not really Twitter, and Reddit. Or you can talk to us, not on social media, if you're not a social media person, at podwaypodcast at gmail.com. Okay, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.